Chapter Fourteen, Part Two of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Murphy, Richmond, Virginia. Chapter Fourteen, Bits, Part Two. So, when they were walking home in a whirl of the coldest, most flat-edged wind they had ever known, he stopped in front of her to remark, "'Of course you can't go on with a soft, oh-so-friendly life like this here. You've got to have an awakening of the old recognition of the aristocratic principle, the innate difference between people.' "'Aristocratic principle,' she shrieked on the wind, "'you should have seen yourself flying like a feather into the sea after your hat. Aristocratic principle!' she shrieked again with laughter there you are you see he said to himself i'm at it again and he laughed too the wind blew them home he made a big fire and changed and they drank coffee made with milk and ate buns thank heaven for a home he said as they sat in the dark big rooms at cooee and ate their buns and looked out of the windows and saw here as well a whirl of gannets like a snowstorm and a dark sea littered with white fluffs. The wind roared in the chimney, and for the first time the sea was inaudible. "'You see,' she said, "'how thankful you are for a home.' "'Chill to the bone,' she said. "'I'm chilled to the bone with my day's pleasure outing.' So they drew up the couch before the fire, and he piled rugs on her and jarra chunks on the fire, and at last it was toastingly warm. He sat on a little barrel, which he had discovered in the shed, and in which he kept the coal for the fire. He had been at a loss for a lid to this barrel, till he had found a big tin lid thrown out on the waste lot, and now the wee barrel with the slightly rusty tin lid was his perch when he wanted to get quite near the fire. Harriet hated it, and had moments when she even carried the lid to the cliff to throw it in the sea. But she brought it back because she knew he would be so indignant. She reviled him, however. Shameful, hideous, old tin lids! How you can sit on it! how can you bring yourself to sit on such a thing and not feel humiliated is that your aristocratic principle i put a cushion on it he said as he squatted on his tub this evening in the fire corner she suddenly turned from her book and cried there he is on his throne sitting on his aristocratic principle and again she roared with laughter he however shook some coal out of the little tub onto the fire replaced the tin lid in the cushion and resumed his thoughts the fire was very warm. She lay stretched in front of it on the sofa, covered with an eiderdown, and reading a Nat Gould novel, to get the real tang of Australia. Of course, he said, this land always gives me the feeling that it doesn't want to be touched. It doesn't want men to get hold of it. She looked up from her Nat Gould. Yes, she admitted slowly, and my ideal has always been a farm. But I know now, the farms don't really belong to the land. They only scratch it and irritate it, and are never at one with it. Whereupon she returned to her Nat Gould, and there was silence save for the hollow of the wind. When she had finished her paper-backed book, she said, It's just like them, just like they think they are. Yes, he said vaguely. But bah, she added, they make me sick, so absolutely dull, worse than an at-home in the middle classes and after a silence another shriek of laughter suddenly like a flying fish like a flying fish dashing into the waves dashing into the waves after his hat he giggled on his tub 
Fancy that I'm here in Kui after my day's outing. I can't believe it. I shall call you the flying fish. It's hard to believe that one was so many things in one day. Suddenly the water. Won't you go now and do the tailor? Twenty to eight, the bold buccaneer. The tailor was a fish that had cost a shilling, in which he was to prepare for supper. Globe, there can't be much telepathy about bullocks, anyhow. In Gippsland, Vic, last of the season, a score of them were put into a strange paddock, and the whole twenty were found drowned in a hole next morning. Tracks showed that they had gone each on his own along a path, overbalanced one after the other, and were unable to clamber up the rocky banks. That, thought Richard at the close of the day, is a sufficient comment on herd unity, equality, domestication, and civilization. He felt he would have liked to climb down into that hole in which the bullocks were drowning and beat them all hard before they expired for being such mechanical logs of life. Telepathy! Think of the marvelous vivid communication of the huge sperm whales, huge grand phallic beasts, bullocks, geldings, men. R.L. wished he could take to the sea and be a whale, a great surge of living blood, away from all these all too white people who ought all to be called celluloid, not only the horse-mange man. Man is a thought-adventurer. Man is more. He is a life-adventurer. Which means he is a thought-adventurer, an emotion-adventurer, and a discoverer of himself and of the outer universe. A discoverer. I am a fool, said Richard Lovett, which was the most frequent discovery he made. It came, moreover, every time with a new shock of surprise and chagrin. Every time he climbed a new mountain range and looked over, he saw not only a new world, but a big anticipatory fool on this side of it, namely himself. Now a novel is supposed to be a mere record of emotion adventures, flounderings in feelings. We insist that a novel is, or should be, also a thought adventure, if it is to be anything at all complete. I am a fool, thought Richard to himself to imagine that I can flounder in a sympathetic universe like a fly in the ointment. We think of ourselves, we think of the ointment, but we do not consider the fly. It fell into the ointment, crying, Ah, here is a pure and balmy element in which all is unalloyed goodness. Here is a tar of roses without a thorn. Hence the fly in the ointment, embalmed in balm, and our repugnance. I am a fool, said Richard to himself, to be floundering round in this easy, cozy, all-so-friendly world. I feel like a fly in the ointment. For heaven's sakes, let me get out. I suffocate. Where to? If you're going to get out, you must have something to get out onto. Stifling an unctuous sympathy of a harmless humanity. Oh, cried the stifling R, where is my rock of ages? He knew well enough. It was where it has always been, in the middle of him. Let me get back to my own self, he panted, hard and central, in the center of myself. I am drowning in this merge of harmlessness, this sympathetic humanity. Oh, for heaven's sakes, let me crawl out of the sympathetic smear and get myself clean again. Back to his own center. Back, back, the inevitable recoil. Everything, said R to himself, is one of those endless conversations with himself, which were his chief delight. Everything is relative. And flop, he went into the pot of spikenard. Not quite, he gasped as he crawled out. Let me drag my isolate and absolute individual self out of this mess. 
which is the history of relativity in man all is relative as we go flop into the ointment or the treacle or the flame but as we crawl out or flutter out with a smell of burning the absolute holds us spellbound oh to be isolate and absolute and breathe clear so that even relativity is only relative relative to the absolute i am sorry to have to stand a sorry sight preening my wings on the brink of the ointment pot thought richard but from this vantage ground let me preach to myself he preached and the record was taken down for this gramophone of a novel no the self is absolute it may be relative to everything else in the universe but to itself it is an absolute back to the central self the isolate absolute self now thought richard to himself waving his front paws with gratification i must sound the muezzin and summon all men back to their central isolate selves so he drew himself up when er he was slothering over the brim of the ointment pot into the bomb of humanity once more oh lord i nearly did it again he thought as he clambered out with a sick heart i shall do it once too often the bulk of mankind haven't got any central selves haven't got any they're all bits nothing but his fright would have struck the truth out of him so he crouched still like a fly very tired with crawling out of the ointment to think about it the bulk of people haven't got any central selves they're all bits he knew it was true and he felt rather sick of the sweet odor of the balm of human beatitudes in which he had been so nearly lost it takes how many thousand facets to make the eye of a fly or a spider he asked himself being rather hazy scientifically well all these people are just facets just bits that fitted together make a whole but you can fit the bits together time after time yet it won't bring the bug to life the people of this terrestrial sphere are all bits isolate one of them and he is still only a bit isolate your man in the street and he's just a rudimentary fragment supposing you have the misfortune to have your little toe cut off that little toe won't at once rear on its hind legs and begin to announce i'm an isolated individual with an immortal soul it won't but your man in the street will and he's a liar he's only a bit and he's only got a minute share of the collective soul soul on his own he has none and never will have just a share in the collective soul no more never a thing by himself damn the man in the street said richard to himself damn the collective soul it's a dead rat in a hole let humanity scratch its own lice now i'll sound my muezzin again the man by himself allah bismallah god is god and man is man and has a soul of his own each man to himself each man back to his own soul alone alone with his own soul alone god is god and man is man and the man in the street is a louse whatever your relativity that's the starting point and the finishing point a man alone with his own soul and the dark god beyond him a man by himself begin then let the men in the street ugh horrid millions crawl the face of the earth like lice or ants or some other ignominy the man by himself that was one of the names of erasmus of rotterdam the man by himself 
that is the beginning and end the alpha and the omega the one absolute the man alone by himself alone with his own soul alone with his eyes on the darkness which is the dark god of life alone like a pythoness on her tripod like the oracle alone above the fissure into the unknown the oracle the fissure down into the unknown the strange exhalations from the dark the strange words that the oracle must utter strange cruel pregnant words the new term of consciousness this is the innermost symbol of man alone in the darkness of the cavern of himself listening to soundlessness of inflowing fate inflowing fate inflowing doom what does it matter the man by himself that is the absolute listening that is the relativity for the influx of his fate or doom the man by himself the listener but most men can't listen any more the fissure is closed up there is no soundless voice they are deaf and dumb ants scurrying ants that is their doom it is a new kind of absolute like riffraff which has fallen out of living relativity on to the teeming absolute of the dust heap or the ant heap sometimes the dust heap becomes huge 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 and covers nearly all the world then it turns into a volcano and all starts again it has nothing to do with me said richard to himself i hope dear reader you like plenty of conversation in a novel it makes it so much lighter and brisker it has nothing to do with me said richard to himself they do as they like but since after all i am a kind-hearted dear creature i will just climb the minaret of myself and sound my muezzin so behold the poor deer on his pinnacle lifting his hands god is god and man is man and every man by himself every man by himself alone with his own soul alone as if he were dead dead to himself he is dead and alone he is dead alone his soul is alone alone with god with the dark god god is god but he likes to shout muezzins instead of hawking fried fish or newspapers or lottery tickets let him poor dear it was rather an anomalous call listen to me and be alone yet he felt called upon to call it to be alone to be alone and to rest on the unknown god alone the god must be unknown once you have defined him or described him he is the most chummy of pals as you'll know if you listen to preachers and once you've chummed up with your god you'll never be alone again poor you for that's the end of you you and your god chumming it through time and eternity poor richard saw himself in funny situations my dear young lady let me entreat you be alone only be alone oh mr summers i should love to if you'd hold my hand there is a gulf growing sterner surrounds each solitary soul a gulf surrounds you a gulf surrounds me i'm falling shrieks and flings her arms around his neck or kangaroo why am i so beastly to kangaroo said richard to himself for beastly i am i am a detestable little brat to them all round a detestable little brat he felt but kangaroo wanted to be queen bee of another hive with all the other bees clustering on him like some huge mulberry sickening why couldn't he be alone at least for once for once withdraw entirely 
and a queen bee buzzing with beatitudes 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 bee attitudes or any other attitudes it made richard feel tired more benevolence more nauseating benevolence charity suffereth long yet one cannot live a life of entire loneliness like a monkey on a stick up and down one's own obstacle there's got to be a meeting even communion well then let us have the other communion this is thy body from which i take thee and eat as the priest also the god says in the ritual of blood sacrifice the ritual of supreme responsibility and offering sacrifice to the dark god and to the men of whom the dark god is manifest sacrifice to the strong not to the weak in awe not in dribbling love the communion in power the assumption into glory la gloire end of chapter fourteen part two